Tom Panos, John McGrath, Million Dollar Agent. John, welcome back to another week. You've had a good week? You haven't commented on the chocolate biscuits. Okay, so there's uh, one, two, three, four. There's five Tim Tams here. We've got 15 minutes with you. We're going to report back at the end of the 15 minutes what had happened with these Tim Tams. Well, since we went to your beautiful offices down over there at Surrey Hills, which are beautiful offices, um, and your team so kindly gave us, I said to Jacqueline, we must upgrade our standards. Yeah, well... So we're into the Tim Tams. We can't eat them because it's going to be noisy, but we'll eat them afterwards. John, um, we've got a plan. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but next time you come to Holt Street, <laughs> you're going to get rocked off your feet, right? You're going to see helicopters. You're going to see showgirls. You're going to feel oh, like you're it. running out onto ANZ Stadium oh, on Grand Final good. Day, and they're going to say... He's John McGrath. I'm very excited. I look forward to that. John, uh, we had great uh, feedback over the Q&As, and we get, a lot of people love hearing stories about other people. And this Q&A section that we're going to do in this podcast, we've got three or four questions. The last week's episodes, they were, I think, a little bit more high level. Yeah. These ones are actually more specifics, mechanics in mm-hmm. real estate, day-to-day stuff. And a really good one came in from Matt Robbins. And what Matt says is, I'm new to the industry two weeks and all the listing presentations I'm going to from door knocking are soft appraisals. Do I treat it as a listing presentation or do I just build rapport and trust, appreciate, love the podcast, he says. So the question that he's saying, John, is he's seeing people that he's building relationships. What do you do in those appointments that you generate out of cold calling? What's the purpose of those appointments? Uh, remember back, Tom, to Eric and Jordan Belford talked about you're uh, not an alchemist, you're a sifter. So the metaphor for those that listened to our Eric debrief was um, you can't turn someone into a ready-to-go seller that isn't one. You might be able to give some reason to someone as to why it might be better to list now than in three months time if you've got school holidays coming up or Christmas or whatever but at the end of the day your job is to identify a whole range of people as a part of your network and your pipeline some of whom are ready to list tonight some won't be ready to list for five years so I think for for Matt um, what I'd be saying is it's important for you to fairly quickly understand is what is their time frame? And a simple question is, Tom, in your mind's eye, what's your time frame for selling? Well, no, we're not ready yet, Matt. We're, we're going to wait for a couple of years, um, but we really wanted to get a bit of an idea so we could start planning ahead. Uh, that, that doesn't need you to start talking about the specifics of the sale. That's someone that really wants to get a good read on the market, wants to hear what else has been selling like theirs, therefore what is the likely value range they can expect so they can start doing some research. The next question would be, why are they selling and can I help them do some research at the other end if they're moving to Sydney? I know somewhere I can send you to Phil Harris in Adelaide or I can send you somewhere else in Melbourne. So I think what's really important is you identify where they're at. You don't try and create you know, the square peg in the round hole. If they're not ready to sell, you're there to build connection, give confidence, provide valuable information and then set up a relationship for the future. So I think it's, just, it's important to uh, respect where they're at and just because you might want another listing this month or you're short on your figures, that doesn't mean they're ready to sell yet. Um, having said that, sometimes people's um, reason to wait might be one that I want to challenge. Sometimes, Tom, you and I have heard in the past where people say, well, you know, it's worth 850 to 900 we accept that, but we don't want to sell until it's worth a million. We want to get a million. The reality is if they're about to upgrade or trade across, the home that they're about to buy is going up 
probably at the same rate as theirs. So the gap's not getting any smaller, the gap just continues. So I say you know, to people sometimes, would it be of interest to you to just accept that the gap's the gap? If you want to move to Melbourne or Adelaide or to a bigger or smaller home, we can help you get moved sooner than later and you can start enjoying the new home. Because sometimes people's reasons for listing and timing of listing, uh, you know, they need to be checked. Um, yeah. So you know, I, I, I look at that, um, but assuming that they have good strong reason and they're not a, an immediate seller, you just move on and you, and you just stay in touch with them and you provide valuable information. And by the way, when I say stay in touch with them, this is something that agents are generally not good at. Yeah. Put aside people like Adrian Bow that, that is a machine in terms of his prospecting and James Tostevin that are the best in the business. But there are a lot of agents that then they go soft on that listing and they say, oh, he's not going to list for two years. So then they slip off their to-do list, they slip off their pipeline, and then two years later you see another agent's board up there. So I think, you know, while someone may not be ready to list today, that doesn't make them an any less valuable connection than someone that's going to sign tonight. And, and John, it's, it's, it's sad when you see an agent that's gone off, done the prospecting, built a relationship at a, as the term is, a soft appraisal. So they've done 80% of the stuff. All they haven't done is put a process as a stay in touch strategy. Right. And it really means that all that effort that they did that most agents don't do, which is go off and do some push work, and they, you know, they go off and um, prospect, yeah, and they don't get a reward for it. So I would say to Matt, uh, Matt, um, Matt Robbins, that's listening out there, on John's point, don't stop doing this prospecting. Firstly, because you're not getting a listing, you're not supposed to get a listing out of prospecting. You're supposed to get contacts Correct. that one day become a listing. And a lot of people actually stop doing the prospecting because after a while they say, "Well, I'm not getting any listings." But more importantly, on what John has said, don't fall into the trap of not doing the missing part of the jigsaw, which, as John has said, agents are pretty bad at and that is the stay in touch strategy. The other thing, Tom, I find, if you stay in touch with value-add information and enthusiasm, sometimes a three-year seller becomes a three-month seller. Yeah. I've, I've invited people to auctions and I've said, you know, Tom, I know you're not ready to sell, but I'm gonna be auctioning one down the street next Saturday at 11 o'clock. I'd love you to come along, see how the auction system works. I've had people come along, be excited by the process, see how we do it, see the demand for property like theirs, that have actually ended up saying, you know, we've, we talked about after the auction, we've decided to go sooner than later. Yeah. So I think if you're an effective networker and you stay in touch and you provide valuable information, you'll be surprised as to how many people might engage a little bit earlier because you are professional in your approach. So yeah. that'd be it. Matt Robbins, you think he's related to Tony? Well, if he is... We'll have you in here. Why is he talking to us? Yeah. Us, us deals. Mate, give, give, give Anthony Robbins a ring. I'll tell you, Anthony Robbins has probably got the ability to get the people bought and sold three years earlier than what they were planning. So maybe bang. That's, bang, that's it. Okay, John, let's move on to our next question. It comes from, um, well, let's do, let's do a quick one here with uh, Nathan from LJ Hooker. Mm-hmm. Now, Nathan owns LJ Hooker Parramatta. I know the guy, he's a very good operator. Oh, he's a great operator. Yep, great yeah, great operator. Um, and uh, Nathan has asked, how will technology impact and change real estate in the next 10 years for both agents and consumers? John, we could do a PhD here. We mm-hmm. could be here for the next uh, three, four days going through pros, cons, alternatives. Just your 60-second version to that. 
Look, I think for a start, Nathan, who who we we know well, and and uh, he runs a great business out there. You're right, Tom. Um, let's not talk ten years. Let's walk talk three, because God knows what's going to happen in ten years. I don't think anyone knows. Technology and the world is changing so rapidly. Trying to predict what it's going to be like beyond three years is naive. I think you've just got to say what I think is going to happen in the next three years. A few things. Number one is I think technology will become a major differentiator for the way agents work. Right now, I think there are well-organised, well-funded agents that are upgrading their internal technology, uh, and be that whether it's uh, off the shelf, like a box and dice type of business, or whether it's a custom that they're building themselves or customising. Um, I think that this will become important because uh, technology in the world of retail and service industries is really going to be a point of difference. And I think real estate is way behind the growth curve in that. Most real estate agents, they still write stuff on pads that opens, they stick it in their top drawer, they forget people, they don't have really great systemization of their CRM or customer relationship management system. So I think if you're out there and you haven't got a good software solution and a good CRM piece, you better get onto that game fast because this is actually going to start sending people out of business. Uh, I think agents will start being attracted to the businesses that have got the strongest technology platforms to work because they'll walk in and they'll say, hey, Tom, this piece of software you've got, that can help me double my business without um, working any extra hours, which I think it can. So first thing is I think recognise that technology will be a differentiator and start investing. Um, John, what do you think of video? Where do you see video? Like, and what's the McGrath approach to video? We are great believers in video. I guess you're talking about online video. Online video. Taking videos and putting it online. Um, We're great believers in it. Uh, We use a company called Platinum HD that's a terrific video group. Um, I think they're kind of the Rolls Royce. They're probably not the cheapest solution, but I think they do a magnificent job. I know they do a magnificent job. Do you see um, the need, the desire, the appetite, the requirement for a video on every property? Well, look, assuming that you know people nowadays, whether they see the property at a signboard in print or online, they're going to go online to check it out. That's the default. So if they go online to check it out, the question is, how can you enrich their experience? So you can give them a floor plan. In fact, I think that's default vital. If you haven't got a floor plan on all your listings now, guys, you're again falling behind the, uh, the game. You know, you can see some stuff and some nice still images, but I think people want more. I think they want to see a video if they've got it. In fact, the statistics that came from realestate.com recently were 400% increase in engagement if a property has a video as opposed to if it's just got static content. So four times the number of people that look at it and the amount of time they look at it and just their general engagement with that listing. So I think it's critical. why wouldn't you do video? Only one reason is, well, two reasons, you could be lazy and you're just falling behind the times or more likely the cost involved. So then it's a question of if you believe in it, can you sell an extra few hundred dollars to your vendor? And I think videos range between 250 and 750 generally in, in terms of dollars. I think to sell a million dollar or a half million dollar property, that's a fairly modest investment to increase my traffic and my engagement by 400%. four times. 400%. 400%. So I think video is critical. Now, by the way, I'm giving ourselves an uppercut here. We're only using video on about 5% of our listings. I'd like to see it on 95%, to be honest. So we're not going to get there necessarily overnight, but it's a big commitment for our uh, internally. Um, And I think also from an agent perspective, if an agent is good at presenting the video, just walking through the home, that's a great advertisement for the agent. Not that that's the reason you do it, but that's a great advertisement. The other thing, and Steve Carroll, again, from realestate.com, came and talked to our team recently, and he talked 
Tommy about the digital interview. And he said, nowadays, people are starting to refine their consideration set before they meet them. In the old days, you go and meet four, five, six, seven agents, maybe. Nowadays, you might go and look at half a dozen online and then reduce that down to the two or three that you like the way they present their properties. And, and you know, you can watch them online talk about how they, what's their process, what do they go about doing business, who they are as an individual. So I think it's really critical. Well, John, I've got to tell you, it's funny you say that on Saturday, or sorry, Sunday, we went to uh, look at a car for my wife. Salesperson uh, was all on the phone, sent me an SMS. I replied back by SMS, I'll see you there. I got there. I think his name was uh, James. I think he'd gone online. He'd read all about me. Yeah. He'd gone on to social media. He'd found out about Googled me. Googled you, right. Yeah, he Googled me. So I got there to um, in uh, Waterloo, Lexus at Waterloo, and uh, he knew the drills. Well, Lexus are legendary for their customer service, right? I yeah. mean, they've made a, uh, an art out of customer service, so that doesn't surprise me you're dealing with Lexus. Yeah. Okay, so, John, I Did want to... Did you buy the car? Uh, no, we're going to wait for the NX... Um, <laughs> this is not a promotion because I haven't even bought it. I don't want to sound like this is cash for comments, but there is a new car coming out called the Lexus NX. And, he's, and I've got to say, it's a sign of a good salesperson when he turned around and he said, if I were you, maybe I'd wait a couple of days when this new car comes out, then you can make a better informed decision when you've got everything. And yeah. I like that approach. Outstanding. I, I like, John, the approach that a salesperson says, I care more about you being happy than yes. me making the sale today. And, and, and Tom, you know, interesting. SMS to you to confirm the appointment or something like that. Yeah. It was probably systemized, but if it wasn't, it took him five seconds. Gives you, a, all of a sudden, oh, gee, I'm dealing with a professional here. So you're going to listen differently when you meet this man, young man from Lexus, you're going to think, well, I'm dealing with a professional. Next thing, when he arrives, and, and hopefully, I'm sure he didn't sort of um, you know, go over the top with it, but knowing that you're in the real estate world, knowing that you work for News Limited, I mean, that's great. He can use metaphors. Tom, it's like in real estate. You get what you pay for. If you want the better quality agent, you need to pay a bit more or whatever, and bring it down to something that's relevant to you, and it made you feel special um, just by someone knew a little bit about you. So I think that's a good tip for all our listeners is it doesn't take much to set yourself apart if you're dealing with buyers, sellers, tenants, landlords, or whoever. Just a little bit of research and a couple of little things yeah. will really set you apart. John. I love the story. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about this question, and it's come from Nicholas at Richardson and Wrench, who sent it in to my website. I'm new to the game and my first listing now in the third week. What I want to hear is how to negotiate with buyers. When is the right time to take feedback back to my vendor? I have an approach, but would be great to know how I can improve on how I handle offers, keep up the good work. So, Nicholas, um, third week, John, what, what's the advice you're going to give to Nicholas about feedback to his vendors? Well, I think it's pretty good that he's got his first listing in his week three. I think that's kind of good. Yeah, I'm not absolutely. sure what his background is, is what he was doing in the office before that, but well done. Um, for that, Nicholas, we love R&W. They're a great brand. Um, Jason Boone, one of our good friends. He's, he's a good boy. One of the best he? agents in Australia, and he works for, uh, for R&W. So well done, Nicholas. Um, let's take the second part of it first. When's the right time to give feedback to the vendor? Because in terms of negotiating with the buyers, obviously that doesn't come until you identify the right property for the right buyer, and you're now down to just talking about the money side. Um, you have to. My view is it's... It's critical to give feedback to vendors from the get-go. Um, so you've listed the property. 
in the meeting that you have with a vendor that actually helps set up their expectation as to what's going to happen. I always talk about, Tom, one of the things that most of our clients want from us is real, authentic, unfiltered um, feedback as to what people are saying and thinking about their property. So they can then make a good business decision as things progress. So I set that expectation up front because that's part of my role is to give them that information, but I don't want to start pouring it on them unless they're happy with that. So then I'd say, you're happy with that? And Tom say, yeah, sure, tell me, tell me what people are saying. <clears throat> then I think you've got to make sure that you give a balanced approach because some agents, I, I think because they either don't know better or perhaps they've even been trained, which is a little bit more frightening <coughs> to do it this way. But they then, you know, from the day they listed, they start telling the vendors all the negatives about the property. And, you know, and this thing in the old-fashioned word was conditioning, and yeah. I hate that word, and I, I shiver if I ever hear it talked about in our brand, but that I don't really hear it talked about here. So I think what you're to do is give them balanced feedback. You know, so Tom, here's the things they're really liking. I've had great feedback around this. A couple of reasons these buyers decided not to take it any further was this and this. Um, on a balanced approach, if I put aside the bargain hunters and I put aside the people that perhaps are not yet educated in this market, the feedback is people are saying it's around this level. I think that's really critical. So Nicholas, you know, you've really got to be giving people feedback. Now, one of the problems is a lot of agents don't give feedback until they've got the buyer that wants to buy the home. Yeah. And, and that buyer's view on the home actually might be the most accurate. But if the vendor has had no context or feedback prior to then, and the first thing, and the vendor's hoping to get 500,000 and the buyers have been saying, well, that's probably on the optimistic side, it's really worth 450 to 475. And then your real buyer comes along with an offer of 460 and the vendor has nothing other than the original appraisal discussion to base it on, you might well lose a good opportunity for a client. Yeah. So I think you've got to have that feedback frequently. It's got to be balanced, not too heavy to the positive, not too heavy to the negative. It should just be a balanced view, unemotional. Because a lot of agents, you know, they, they, they try and, you know, again, shove an opinion, you know, in a vendor's way. And I think you've got to be very balanced around this. Um, interesting, Bethwin Richards, you know well, she's yeah. one of our partners in the business and a great agent. And so many over the years, she's been working with us, God, it must be close to 20 years, I'd say, 15 to 20 years. And, she, and, and one of the vendor feedback comments that I get a lot about Bethwin is, you know, even when we hadn't sold and we were not getting the information we wanted to hear, she was always positive. We always felt she was on our side. Even when she was telling us stuff that buyers had said, that probably wasn't what we wanted to hear, but maybe in hindsight what we had to hear at the time. They said she always did it with a positive energy and at no point did we think that she wasn't on our team. So I think that's really where you want to get to, where you're yeah. giving people this real, unfiltered, authentic feedback so they can make a good decision, but they don't think that all of a sudden you're trying to get a better deal for the buyers. Yeah, so I think Bethwin success leaves clues. She's got mastery levels, the ability to actually tell people what they need to hear, which is the truth, yeah. but to also leave that vendor with understanding your job is that you're going to keep going till you get them top dollar. Yeah. And I think to um, Nicholas from Richardson and Wrench, John McGrath said something early on when I went to a seminar, which was that unless you're in an area where the whole town's on the market, like, say, parts of North Queensland or rural Australia, there is no reason why you don't have daily vendor contact. Yeah. And frequent, um, frequent is really important. Yeah. Frequency builds trust. 
And the worst thing that happens in real estate is every time you avoid to make the call, you're actually digging a hole for yourself that you're going to keep not putting off that call because after a while you begin to feel guilty yep. while you haven't made the call. So right. make calling a habit. Make feedback a habit. I, I like these Q&A sessions, Tom. I think we should do a few more through the year. Yeah. I mean, we really get to, I think, or hopefully, we get to the real issues that, you know, the people that are out there that are making important, vital decisions or perhaps giving critical advice to clients today are, are wanting feedback. and. I love the fact that they see this as a forum they can come to, so um, they need to, how do they get the questions to you? Okay, so they go to, a lot of them come to tompanos.com.au um, or you can even send me an email at tom at tompanos.com.au. A lot of people private message me on my Facebook page. Um, Nathan put it on Twitter. So, I mean, the reality is if you want to find Tom Panos, it's not hard these days. You Google it, we're everywhere. Well, what so, about going to the uh, Castellarigian Club after hours to... Uh... Yeah, so uh, bring, your, bring your disco <laughs> shoes and your white shirts. Eight o'clock, it's 80s music. <laughs> so, so we should do a few more of these, but next week we'll kind of get back to some of our general advice. But uh, I think in the future, please keep your questions coming in because Tom and I love hearing what are the challenges you're going through in your own office and, and hopefully we'll get time in the next few weeks to, to answer a few more. Okay, so this is uh, Tom Panos and John McGrath signing off. It is the best part of the year. Spring is here. It is also the most important part of the year. Your group certificate is going to show that this month was critical um, in the end of the financial year. John, you have a good week. See you next week. To our listeners, have a great week. We'll see you next week.